earlier today was talking as people were coming in someone had asked me they said you know there was this pastor he was here is he still here and I'm like yeah no he done left me for Florida and he lets me know how warm it is whenever it snows here and they said well could we meet him you know before that I'm like yeah he's gone well I look up and here's Alan Al, I didn't even know you were going to be here. So right there, everyone. So if you get a chance, say hey to Al afterward. And that is so cool. So I love that. I love it. Well, today, I wanted to continue speaking on the subject of praise. Uh, from Isaiah, we were talking about the fact that as, as a person, how you can feel undone when the presence of God is, is there. You can just feel undone. And I want to stick to that undone thing because I can't let go of the subject of praise. It seems like whatever I try to study, whatever I try to do, I keep being led back to that. And this idea, what does passion look like in a church? What does a healthy church, how does that appear? What does a healthy church family do? I wanted to read today out of Acts, chapter 1, the first 14 verses. Bear with me. I'm going to be reading out of the New King James. It's being written to a man named Theophilus. It's addressing the fact, it says in verse 2, well, actually verse 1, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering, by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Verse 8 but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, when Jesus had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Verse 12, when they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, it's a Sabbath day's journey. Verse 13 says, And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. All the disciples are named at this point. And verse 14 says, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. It's amazing 
when you think about what God is doing. God is doing a work right now, and you can't help but feel it. It's happening in so many places. When it comes to churches and you talk to different pastors, they say something's happening. You see this hunger like never before, and not this hunger that we've seen. It's this new thing that God is doing, and we hear about this. You can't help but notice that God's hand is moving. Lately, I'm in this place of praise. There's that song that the worship team sings, nothing else, and they say, take me back to where I started. We live in this church age where I feel like every church wants to be the it church. Every church wants to be at the forefront of some movement, and they want to be like the special church that's doing that. But I feel like God is saying, take it back to the beginning. How did things start? Because the way that it started is something that we need to look at. We need to look at that model, we need to look at that pattern, and we need to pay attention. The church hasn't always existed, and that's hard for some of us to believe that it wasn't always the formality of seats in a row and the little plastic communion cups. But there was a point when a risen Savior was going to ascend into heaven. There was a point where the torch of the gospel was being passed to humans, and he's saying, I'm going up, and what are you going to do with this gospel that you've seen play out in front of you? And what I can't help but think is the same question is being asked to us today. What are you going to do with what Jesus has handed you? Every church, when they start, they have that first service. The very early church, their first service, 3,000 people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Their second service, 5,000 more people were added to the church. Historians say that within six months of Pentecost happening, over 100,000 people had accepted Jesus in Jerusalem itself. Here's the reality. We are gathered here today because of that group of people and their willingness to do what they did with the torch at that time. And the question would be, what made them so special that they would be enabled to do what they did? We grow up in a time where we think, of course, we would know that the saints are special. Of course, they were superhuman just based on all the things we see, like stained glass windows, like Renaissance paintings, right? Like, of course, I know these are the disciples because they hang out amongst the topiaries and they all wear brightly colored robes. Like, I would know that because of the iconic imagery, right? No, they were just a normal group of people. And if the description was right, they would be considered ragtag. They weren't even the kind of people that anyone would really know. We live in a time of influencers. There was a point in my daughter's life where when she grew up, what she wanted to do was she wanted to open surprise eggs on YouTube and have people watch her. Because that's what society has told her, was like a normal occupation choice. These people were nobodies. No one really knew their names. No one really knew where they came from. They didn't have corporate sponsors for their ministry. They didn't have impressive resumes. Yet history records they literally turned the world upside down. And if we look closely at that first chapter of Acts, we can pull out a couple of things that we as the church can begin to do to see God move. What does faith do? Faith produces obedience. That sounds so simple, but it's true. 
James 2.17 says, even so, if faith has not works, it is dead being alone. This faith can't begin to do a work outside of these walls unless this faith has done a work inside of this heart. Are you looking for a formula for success? Here's the early church. They trusted God and they did what God said. There's your formula. Josh Vincent, when he was standing up here talking about Queensdale, he referenced that Acts 1.8, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Revolution will begin at home. Obedience begins right where you are in this moment. God's not going to give us the ends of the earth if we're not going to be faithful with our Jerusalem. Here's what's wild. Context, 40 days earlier, these same people who are being told to go into Jerusalem, to go, to go, 40 days earlier, they saw their leader, Jesus, whipped, beaten, tried, crucified, and buried. What I'm saying is Jerusalem is the place that's going to cost you the most. It can cost you your reputation as being the one who doesn't rock the boat. It may cost you some of your friends who think that you've done gone off the deep end by the way you talk about Jesus so much. It may cost you your history sometimes because you're having to really look at it and say, God, who I was is not who I'm going to be. The line has to be drawn. Logistically, it made no sense for them to go to Jerusalem. When I hear that 40 days, only 40 days earlier, as a pastor, so many times, I encounter people who may spend years or decades or lifetimes stuck in a place where hurt happened, especially when it comes to wounds that are acquired in the church. To stop there. but I said something earlier. I felt like the Lord wanted me to share, and I say this is a church that sometimes the best place to plant the victory flag is the very place where Satan has been saying you were defeated. Is it any wonder? When we were standing there, Tara, and Josh is pointing in Queensdale to the apartment building that he lived in. Those weren't always good times. But the Lord has a way of saying, where it looked like a place of defeat, I'm going to make it a place of victory. The Bible says they went to Jerusalem. Who would do that? Why would they do that? When God speaks, we have two choices. We can either obey in faith or we can disobey regardless of the excuse. Hearing doesn't just fill in the blanks. Hearing doesn't mean that I have stepped into what God wants me to do. As a Christian, here's where I am. And this may sound really immature for someone who pastors a church. I'm currently at a one-step program of God to the next step, the next step. I cannot worry about the next 10 steps. And you may say, there he is, a man without a plan. No, I'm a man with a plan that knows that God has the next step after this one and after this one. And I want to take one at a time in the confidence of who he has told me to be. Everything he desires to do through you can only be accomplished through an overflow. I cannot pour out what I do not contain. 
Jesus Christ is looking to pour more and pour more, and what are we going to do with it? The second thing that marks that early church, they had a passion that produced unity. Said in verse 14, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. One mind in the Greek, one will, one heart, one passion. People make up a passionate church. You know how they do it? When they wrap their hearts around the same thing. It's said that it's one body, many parts in God's family. Well, it is wild. You know what I was thinking the other day? There are times like when I go swimming, it's wild that my mouth that wants to make 80s references and quote 80s movies or like journey lyrics or whatever, like all of a sudden my mouth knows how to close, it's time to swim. My hands, my hands that want to clap or do whatever, as soon as I jump in the water, it's amazing how they know it's time to swim. My feet, if you're around me for any amount of time and we're talking and I just disappear, it's a running joke with my family. When it comes time to swim, they stay with me and we swim. There's coming a point where God's saying you're getting into deeper water, people. It's coming time to swim. And when we do, all the parts of the body are just going to come together in unity. But it's not going to be accidental. It's going to be on purpose. It is time to move in that direction. Where was their focus? In verse 3, it says, Jesus also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. These are the last 40 days that Jesus would physically be here on this earth before he goes up into heaven. The Bible says the one thing he talks about is the kingdom of God. He didn't talk about the good times they had. He didn't talk about the fish dinners they had. He didn't talk about the scary boat ride. He talked about the kingdom of God. It's no different for us today. What is the kingdom of God? In a theological sense, it's God's sovereign activity in the world resulting in people being brought into right relationship with himself. In layman's terms, the kingdom of God is the gospel in action. If you're not careful... We can go out as a church, and we can get involved in mission, and we can make it about the church. But the church was never the goal. Church is a temporary tool which was established by Jesus for us as people on this earth before his return, how we would connect, how we would carry out mission. The people in the book of Acts, they wrapped their hearts around what Jesus said. Can you imagine how scary it would have been back then? Like, I can't imagine. Because there are times where I get nervous as a pastor. There are times when I feel 10 feet tall in church. You get out in the world and you're like, God, what should I do? If I'm the only one, then shame on me. But I feel like sometimes we allow the world to dictate how we're going to operate in our faith. We let them draw the line. The third thing this church did, they had a desperation that produced prayer. Have you ever met someone who is desperate? Have you ever been somewhere and a little kid has gotten separated from their parents? And you see that little kid, the look on their face, you see the tears in their eyes, you see this desperation, I want my mom. 
this is kind of the desperation when I say one step at a time that I've been walking in. I feel like there's times in my faith that I'm not walking around saying, woe is me as much as God, I am desperate for you. I need my heavenly father. I am reaching for his hand. I need to find him in this place because there's a lot of noise here. I'm feeling like I, I don't have the direction myself. Please take me to my father. God, I'm desperate for you. The Bible says when they got in the upper room, they devoted themselves to prayer. They don't stop praying until God shows up to do what he said he was going to do. This isn't twisting God's arm. This is taking him at his word. I'm in a place where I'm just saying, God, I haven't seen the fulfillment of it yet, but I'm going to speak life over it. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to, in ridiculous faith, call it out. And when the water gets higher, I'm going to call it out again. I'm going to call it out again because I know who you are and what you're capable of. I've never been in a room, this is wild, where prayer has taken place that I haven't heard praise going up as well. Truth, you get in a prayer meeting, and I've never heard a prayer meeting where praise doesn't just start going up. It says God inhabits the praise of his people in Psalm 22. Another translation says that God sits upon the praises of Israel. I want to get to a place that when it comes to the worries of this world, I'm going to say to them, no, this seat is taken, it's reserved for Jesus. No, this seat is taken, it's reserved for Jesus. When things start happening, it is said that God's omnipresent. I want to feel like he's near. It's tough for me to imagine sometimes that God doesn't need me but I need him. You ever get to that place? Because we tend to form a God that we think fits into our parameters, who will not ask too much of us, but who will give us exceedingly abundantly above all we ask, right? That's the kind of God we want, but we don't want him to ask too much of us. God doesn't need me. I need God. One of the simplest things you hear in church, but we can forget about is that prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. So many times in the Bible, I read about how a move of God was preceded by the prayers of his people seeking his face. When you dig deep enough to anywhere in the world that God is actively at work, you're going to see this. You're going to see people who are hungry for God. You're going to see a remnant. Not a bunch of people saying, God, do something, but a bunch of people saying, God, I want to know you. And in the crying out to know God more, the something that they're looking for so often follows and they don't even know it had happened because that's how faithful God is. The fourth and final thing, that early church, they had a spirit that produced power. Oh, for many years, learned men and finite beings, theologians have spent so much time debating in seminary classrooms and in coffee houses what they think really happened on the day of Pentecost. You know, people spend time drawing lines, constructing boxes made of words to contain the Holy Spirit. They use terms like apostolic age, cessationism, and continualism. But something that always comes to mind is this. Who are we as humans to think that a God who holds the cosmos in his hand with room to spare will quietly sit in a box that I make out of my words. Don't ever say to God, here and no farther, because he'll show you farther real quick. I recently heard of someone who made this statement in regard to the Holy Spirit. 
If you were here earlier, you heard the way that the Holy Spirit can operate in what we call tongues and interpretation. It's biblical. I was talking with someone one day. A friend of theirs had said, you know, my church that I attend, we don't, we don't operate that way there. But I'll tell you something. If I ever got that diagnosis, the first place that I would go for prayer is Christian Life Church. Because I know that the people there operate according to the Holy Spirit. It's not this church, it's not this look at us kind of thing, but it's an idea that we recognize the fact that there is power in the Holy Spirit. And when I pray, I don't pray as one who is weak, I pray as one who has been empowered. When I speak destiny and God destiny, I do so as a son and adopted by the blood of Jesus Christ and heir, and I don't do so with my voice quivering. I do so with God confidence. And I'm telling you right now that that early church, when it came to the power of the Holy Spirit, they knew that they knew. A few years back, we had the power team here. I don't know if you've ever experienced the power team, but when they displayed power, nobody could deny it. When those guys got a hot water bottle and blew it up and popped it, wow, you knew what was happening, right? When they got a phone book and ripped it in half, wow, no big deal. I mean, I do that stuff, but I don't like to show off. And they'd get a bat, they'd bust it over their knee, they'd do things. There was no denying that there was a show of power there. But how much more when the Holy Spirit enters the room? How much more? In Francis Chan's book, Forgotten God, he said, when I read the book of Acts, I see the church as an unstoppable force. The church was powerful. It spread like wildfire, not because of clever planning, but because of a move of the Spirit. Nothing could stop it, not persecution, not torture, not poverty, not being shunned from society. It didn't stop it then, and I'm telling you, the climate is not much better now in some ways, but it will not stop if God's people march forward in that confidence. Isn't that the kind of movement that you would like to see? From the very beginning, he chose the unlikely. He continues to do so. I'll never forget, when my mom was in the hospital, she had had a surgery, a very serious surgery on her neck. When she was laying in UH and she was recovering, it wasn't the authority of the CEO of university hospitals that made a difference. Know what it was? It was this cleaning lady who came in. She's got her mop. And she said, hi, my name is, and I've forgotten her name. And she says, I want you to know that I'm a Christian. And I wondered if while I mop, it'd be okay for you if I just sang a little to Jesus. She's like, I'll close the door because the nurses sometimes get aggravated. And as she closes that door, good Lord, I've heard some professionals. We've been to Elevation Worship and heard their worship team 
with their multi-thousand dollar sound system and light show. But that woman that day touched heaven. You felt it. You felt the Holy Spirit. And she didn't march in and kick the door open. She just walked in the confidence of who God made her to be. And in that simple moment, something like that made such a mark on me that I can't shake it all these years later. And you may say, but you don't remember her name, so it didn't mark you that much. Well, I'm forgetful. <laughs> I remember the key points. The distinct person of the Holy Spirit does these things. He teaches, he reminds, he helps, he convicts of sin, he dwells in believers, he fills us. He's a source of revelation, wisdom, and power. He guides to all truth and knowledge of what is to come. He gives spiritual gifts to believers. He is a seal on the lives of believers. He is a help in my weakness, and he intercedes for me. He sanctifies and he enables good fruit. What are the things as a church that we can do if we want to follow that early model? We can walk in faith that produces obedience. We can walk in a passion that produces unity. We can walk with a desperation that produces prayer. And we can hold on to the fact that the spirit of the living God produces power. Now here's something. I'm going to close on this. What is a practical application? All right? Because we can do this. this. This is awesome. We're like, yeah, early church. Get us out of here by noon, early church. Right? We can do this. But what is a practical application to see the church engage the way the early church did? Do you know why they thrived on a practical level besides selling out to Jesus Christ and everything they did? In a practical sense, they spent time together. What? That is practical. Here is something I'm going to bring up as a pastor. How can we do this? We do something at church, and I'm going to say at life groups, that isn't like this advertisement kind of thing. It's a practical way to connect to one another. I'm saying that because in 2019, we wouldn't even get like the oops part out of life groups. We'd be like life girl and like everybody would fill up the table and they'd have their names down and we we're all there and I'm coming to your house. And, you know, and then 2020 happens and we're like, yeah, I don't know. And Here's the part where it's coming. In order for this church to grow to the point that it needs to grow, to be relational with one another, to be able to really bear one another's burdens, to celebrate with one another. We must prioritize spending time together. Sign-ups are going to begin soon on this. Here's my goal. There may be some people that say, I would love to do a six-week Bible study. Wonderful. There are some people that might say, I can't commit to every week, but I would love to lead something on a monthly basis. Sweet. There's somebody who's saying, oh, I would love to start, but I can't. My schedule is not going to change at work until October. Well, let's pencil in October. I do not, as a pastor, want to create hurdles and walls for people in the church to connect. What I want is I want to hear about these things that people are doing outside of the church. You do not need my permission to be friends with people. 
You don't need my permission to love one another. And I know that sounds weird, but people will be like, hey, would it be okay? Yeah, you can, you can ask so-and-so out to you. I mean, my own kids don't even ask me that, but church people do. The goal is to always have things going. I say that because that's what faith can, that's how it can operate. That's how it can grow. Something I've said from the beginning, when you get Christian people together, Christian things happen. Is it always pretty? No. Are there some awkward moments? Yeah. But isn't that how it is with family? So here's what I want. I want you to pray. God, would you have me lead a group? Sounds awfully formal. I'd be surprised if the answer isn't yes. In a couple of weeks, you're going to see things coming out. You're going to see opportunities to get involved. I urge you as a church family, please plug in. If you'll stand, we're going to pray. Before we do, if you happen to pass by the front and notice all the grass on the floor and wonder what kid did that, it's me. I tend to go out and pray in the field before church. I used to go on the deep wood trail and walk until I kind of freaked some lady out because I was talking to myself. And she said, we all need to talk to ourselves sometimes. And I'm like, next comes a pepper spray. Like this is... So I stay on property. If you see the grass, that's some prayer grass up here. Let's bow our heads, church. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this family. And Lord, I pray that you would direct each step. I pray, God, that the seed that was planted today, that we would kick that around this week that we would consider it and we would understand that each one of us, Lord, is a part of this family, a contributing part of this family. I ask that you would grow this church just how you grew that early church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.